you know, there's all those little pieces that that you can always come back to. And um, I think I need. Will you reframe the question again, Ken? I think I lost myself when I was um, talking about it. Was it. A, it was just irrational fear. What is irrational your fear. most That's irrational right. fear? Yeah. That's right. I was so afraid that I forgot the question. I wanted to avoid it. <laughs> you you, you uh, ran into the irrational fear here on uh, the pod. Oh, no. Yeah. This, this is the Cine vibes, ladies and Welcome gentlemen. Back. I'm joined with my best friend and <laughs> best friend. I was gonna say it and lover and lover. Hey Trey, you can't reveal that. Like, sorry, sorry, you know we can't what? do that. You know what? It is the finale of the season, so I guess we are <laughs> dropping all of the. Uh, there's no cliffhangers. Oh, We're giving you all the exposition right now. <laughs> yes. No, I'm joined with Kenneth Jackson, co-host and awesome all-around guy. Welcome. Thanks, Trey. You're a pretty good guy too. You know. Well, you know, I appreciate it. Don't get it's a big to ego stay about humble this. when you're throwing those compliments. <laughs> Don't get a big ego about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just the rest of the episode ruined. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Today, it's our final episode. It is. It's the final Not one. ever, but of season three. Mm-hmm. And we got a good one for you. We talk with someone that has a lot of experience directing and DPing. He's worked on a variety of projects. We talk a little bit about his work on Westerns mm-hmm. and about his work in the indie short film world as well with some awesome collaborators that he's gotten a chance to work with. That's Brent Christie. Good old Brent. Man, what an awesome guy. You are going to love this interview. He has a lot of nuggets that he drops, a lot of really good uh introspective uh talking about just the human condition that comes up quite a bit in artistry and that's something that personally i'm very interested in and we talk a little bit about that we talk about of course his work and we talk a lot about michigan style pizza so you don't want to miss out on that like there's a big difference between anything made in chicago deep dish pizza and Michigan, so you gotta yeah. you gotta learn to discern it. We learned a lot about that for sure, and also how much someone can deflect from a question that you ask and just yeah. answer it however they want. Yeah, we it was the it was, and you know what? He did it in such a great way that we were. It like, was graceful. It was I, beautiful. I, I was like, I see. I I I didn't even realize you were doing this to us, but hell yeah, much power. We were so captivated throughout this episode that we probably almost never interjected because we were just pulled in by the eloquent speaking of Brent. Mm-hmm. So without further delay, here's Brent Christie. 
Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. This is a segment we introduced for season three. It's called The Devon 12. And we think it's the most in-depth questionnaire to more fully knowing who you are as a person. Yeah. Are you excited to dive into this? I'm ready and excited. These are the biggest questions to ask. Yes. So question one, city with the best pizza you've had and what style was it? You know, I'm from Michigan. Very biased on Detroit style pizza. Ah, okay. Thick bread. Yeah. Good amount of sauce and cheese. Mm. What's the difference with Detroit from, say, Chicago? Well, in Chicago, you know, you get it's a little more saucy, a little bit more soup mm-hmm. bowl type experience. Okay. There's a lot of great Chicago style pizzas I love, but yeah. Detroit, I mean, I mean, in the Midwest in general, growing up with carbs, yeah. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I mean, just a nice <laughs> thick piece of fried bread with just a little oh, bit of yeah. sauce and cheese on it is uh, <laughs> it's a way to go for me. Yeah. Awesome. I need to. You're the first Detroit, by the way. Yeah. Before that, I was going to say Detroit. I need to freshen up on my Detroit style. So, I mean, this this interview or this question is going to make me do that. Amazing. You know, they have like uh, they have like frozen options now if you want to find the Detroit pizza of your dreams. You know, I've seen it at Target. Frozen uh, Detroit style. I don't know. Does that get the seal of approval? No, not at all. But you know, you no? can at least <laughs> absolutely you can at least, not. You can at least imagine. You know, Jets Pizza. If you ever had a Jets Pizza, you know that okay. is very similar. Okay. okay. Got you. Yeah. Perfect. Nice. All right. Question two. Name a movie you wish you had made. Hmm. You know, I want to play nice with this question. I don't I don't think I put my head in that space often because there's so so much of who you are when you see a movie is what a mm-hmm. movie is to you. Right. So, so in I'll say this in reference to your question. A movie like Steve Brill's Heavyweights, Judd Apatow's first uh writing credit on a feature, I believe. Mm-hmm. I saw that when I was 9 and it it really changed my perspective on myself. Okay. And you know, as you know, a kid who dealt with weight issues and who had a low uh, self-esteem in in some ways, you know, just seeing mm-hmm. kids laugh and be themselves and deal deal with that in a movie, that meant mm-hmm. a lot to me. And I can't say that the rewatch has been as powerful over the years, but okay. the nostalgia there, who I am, what trajectory I ended up taking as a filmmaker, I mean, mm-hmm. a film like that puts me there. So. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I wish I made it, but I. But it's that's such a foundational film that you know being a part of it in some way would have been amazing. Or if I could take a time machine back, you know, as yeah. an older person to see it, I think if I can. Uh, what if I just reframed every question you had? Uh, actually, I want to answer it this <laughs> well, way. Well, hold on. Here's a, here's a different question that. <laughs> but no, that's a that's a good answer. It's uh, that that definitely works in with it. You can just straight up say, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'll tell you something else. It's totally fine. If, let me get my puka shell necklace and yes, I'll tell you all that about that. Real quick. <laughs> does the Ben Stiller character still hold up? He re- really does. He really yeah. does. Whenever I'm on a hike somewhere and I see a log on the ground and, you know, I want to pick it up and say, you know, come here, you devil log and just carry it around, you know, just. <laughs> Ben Stiller is a revelation in that movie. But I mean, there's a lot. I mean, yeah. Paul, Paul Feig is in that movie as an actor. You know, he has oh, yeah. like, he's the guy who lost all the weight as a camp counselor. Uh-huh. And just, there's all these, 
amazing comedians and um, actors and collaborators that took took on that movie, and right. I love it. Yeah, it's a great film. Um, question three, and this might be an excellent one for you to reframe. If you could go back and change one decision in your life, what would it be? Hmm. Yeah, maybe that is quality. Maybe because because it is kind of like the first one. I feel like I, it would be really cheesy to say I have no regrets because I don't know if that's totally mm-hmm. true. But I, I, I am a maybe I believe more in the decisions you make frame who you are and get you to where you are. I don't know if I'd know my mm-hmm. wife. I, you know, I have two. I have a seven year old and a five year old at the time of this recording, two boys, you know, the decisions you make. And I'm a comic book fan, so maybe I'm taking on the lore of this question too much of, well, if I change something, does it change the future for me or the butterfly effect, so to speak? So, you know, there's like maybe that element's too at the forefront of my mind. But um, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to fail, you know, today still. And getting a chance to try something I think is so important and... I, you know, the thing, I think the things I would regret, regret would be, you know, the the times I didn't embrace that or didn't have perspective, uh, Mm -hmm. in the moment of how I could be learning from it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a great perspective to have. That's a really good. In general. Yeah. I think that's true. I think, um, you know, the question, it kind of goes into that kind of aspect of like, you know, what, what do you think, uh, you messed up on, but everything you do, I I definitely agree makes, uh, who you are today. Like there are so many things, you know, whenever I'm laying in bed at night and they start creeping up those memories of things I've done in the past. And I'm like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that in middle (laughs) school. Uh, you think they still think about that? And I'm like, there's no way they do. But, uh, in some way, shape or form, it's, uh, also molded me, uh, into what I am today. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, I I have those same nightmares and laying awake moments, though, you know, Mm -hmm. as well. And I think it's so valuable, you know, now that I'm a father and thinking of the Mm -hmm. context of there's only so much I can teach my sons. They're going to have to have their own failures, their own experiences with society and people and come to the conclusion, oh, this is what it's like or Oh, this mm-hmm. is what I'm like outside of my family. And yeah. You know, oh, this is a loving person. This is somebody who's not acting out of love. I think those things are so crucial. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think of them when I think of those moments of, boy, I wish I had a different chance at that. And because, oh, yeah, yeah they're going to have these same things. This, the human condition continues mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what is an irrational fear of yours? What is your, your most irrational fear? I, my most irrational fear is probably the thing that that drives me the most, which is, mm. oh, I'm not quite there yet, or oh, I haven't reached that that mm. thing yet. You know, it's really every project that I take on or every piece of it that okay. I rethink of when it comes to those regrets of I should have shot it that way. I should have, oh, that that interaction right. cost us this time. I need to be thinking better about. Uh, those decisions on the fly. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think of it in terms of that, how, um, you know, there's all those little pieces that, that you can always come back to. And, um, 
I think I need. Will you reframe the question again, Ken? I think I lost myself when I was um, talking about it. Was, it was uh, it was just irrational fear. What is irrational your fear. most That's irrational right. fear? Yeah. That's right. I was so afraid that I forgot the question. I wanted to avoid it. <laughs> you you, you uh, ran into the irrational fear here on uh, the pod. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think the idea of having the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. knowing you need to separate yourself from it, but also knowing you need a healthy dose of it to improve yeah. and get past to the next place. I think that constant, um, that constant the pendulum swing I find myself on. The wrecking yeah. ball that I'm riding, so to speak, you know, is, <laughs> is, um, yeah, I don't know what the, how to get past that contradiction, but other than to just embrace that as the great mm-hmm. contradiction of, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough, but then you're here. And then if I, well, if, if I didn't think that way, then maybe it's too far in the opposite direction that, you right. know, a little bit of humility goes a long way. And if you can't, uh, find the humility in yourself and in the moment and in how you can grow, in your current mm-hmm. situation, regardless of, you know, where you are, I, I, you know, that, that is what I fear. Yeah. I, I, you brought up a lot of really good points and one of them, I think we've touched on in the podcast before, but it's this feeling of being out of your depths and kind of faking it till you make it kind of aspect that you feel we've, we've had some really awesome people on and they would talk about how they felt inadequate when doing certain things in their craft of whatever it is in filmmaking that it was. And yet we're over here like, no, you're amazing from our perspective. Like there's, it's, it's insane how far ahead you are and advanced you are. Like there's no way. Uh, so there's always that feeling of being, you know, the, uh, not is, it's kind of like a feeling that, I've had before when it comes to acting is, oh, I don't, I can't really speak up because I I can't really, you know, I I feel like I don't have anything to say. Like there's people that have more important things to say than I do. Like I'll just uh, go to the back of the room, back of the mob. And it is a, it's a recurring thing. And I think that's definitely a fear I have as well is that feeling of not being, uh, good enough. Uh, but at the same time, that balance you're talking about is something I've been thinking about a lot recently is this aspect of, I know what I, or I think I know what I know. So I'm just (laughs) going to give you the best of what I know right now. And if I'm proven wrong, even better, I get to learn, I change, I accept that I'm wrong and continue to move forward. And it's like that. It's a confidence thing is you get to assert your confidence is like, no, I think this is how it should be done. And someone comes in and is like, mm, have you thought about it this way? And then you're like, you know what? I haven't. I will take that advice and keep with it. And so it's like having that confidence in yourself to make a statement and be okay being wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with that, Ken. I, I'm deeply ingrained in period Westerns at this moment in my career. And mm-hmm. uh, the John, I'm going to paraphrase a John Wayne quote that comes up a lot, which is you know, bravery is being scared, but saddling up anyways. And mm-hmm. so much of our confidence has to come from the idea that, oh yeah, you, this is a risk. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, in your example, can I could be wrong by bringing this out into the world or, or saying this and, you know, mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen, you know, as a, as a way you can take it. But yeah, I think to bring it all back to your uh, comments earlier as well, just have it, you know, we're the blessing and the curse of the human condition is we're only within our own perspective and our own objectivity. 
I, I wish I could remember the artist to to link you to this great illustration of you know what is objectivity well it's like being in your own head but then you're like a person in your own head you don't even have peripheral vision you just have you have every day of every second of your life that's added up to your opinion about things to who you are to the things you don't even know built you into this thing and you can mm-hmm. look at somebody else and say boy they've really got it together boy look at yeah. how well they did that but then you know that person is also on their own journey of of fear and pain that you, mm-hmm. know, you have no idea about yeah. yeah i think at least with that fear it keeps you progressing versus mm-hmm. say a fear of stepping on a bear trap yeah or something random that <laughs> yeah. just probably won't happen to you it just <laughs> keeps you under the weight of that thing mm-hmm. um so I, yeah that's Probably the one we all kind of have lingering at some point throughout the day. Question five, a little bit lighter, Mm. eating in or dining out? Well, that's my second biggest fear is eating. So really, it's not (laughs) a light question for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, um, I'll say say dining in, you know, my, uh, or uh, I think I said it wrong, eating, eating in. My wife's an amazing Mm -hmm. cook. My mom's an amazing cook. Uh, there's so mm, yeah. many great people in my life who have shown me the love of food and what it can be. Mm. So I think, yeah, at the end of the day, sitting in a kitchen with my wife oh. laughing about something, you know, as she does 98% of uh, the good <laughs> cooking in our house, you know, it's, you know, maybe I'll get lucky with a, you know, with a foodnetwork.com recipe mm. one day, but right. you know, it's, those are few and far between. I love, and maybe I, I think about it as home too, because you know, pre pre 2020, we, you know, made yearly trips to New York just to eat. You know, we didn't see anything. We just went and ate and then yeah. went to bed and then got up and ate, you know, it's, you know, there's, awesome. so that exists, yeah. that is part of our life. But I think that also stems from, you know, falling in love with my wife, kind of connected food with that. Mm. Are there any Detroit staple meal items uh, that we should know about? Well, you know, Cincinnati's known for the that Midwestern style chili that's so popular. So while Michigan can't fully take credit for it, you know, the chili dog mm-hmm. is does have a mm. deep life in yeah. Detroit. And there's some nice. great Coney Islands, as they call them there, that, you know, just a little beanless chili, top mm-hmm. of a hot dog, maybe a little bit of onion, maybe a little bit of mustard. You know, it goes mm-hmm. every time I go back. I, mm. I've I've got to find one. Got to find my way yeah. somewhere. You know, Man, White, I, White Castle's I'm, in there as well. Yeah. But. Oh yeah, I I'm starving right now. I need to go <laughs> find like recipes for all of this stuff right now. So, <laughs> gotta pop one of those frozen Detroit pizzas in. Oh yeah. my god! You, <laughs> you know, I'm actually next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to look for that. I I same. Um, you guys send me a picture see. if you find it. I'll, I will. Uh, I will soon. take a picture. um so what do you think is the meaning of life boy i think it's i think it's to love and be loved i think the golden rule falls in there i think you know yeah i think you know to be very um sugary sappy about it i think it's got to be love and being loved and Mm -hmm. finding that in every aspect of of what it means to uh to be a human and 
we all have this little bit of pain. We all have these things, these stories and ideas and experiences that we think we're so alone in. But while they're unique to us, our pain is unique to us. It's also, mm-hmm. you know, does have similarities with others. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of filmmaking is, you know, yeah. the, the great empathy machine, which is being able to step into somebody else's shoes. That's uh, a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the correct answer, by the way. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Yes. I was, I was going to go with roller coasters, but I'm glad that I said that instead. Don't worry. I said that the first time and Trey was like, Mm-mm. It's not roller coasters. No. No, not you, it, bro. Yeah. No, we, we definitely share similar sentiments in that regard. Um, and I think generally people have you know, everyone that we've talked to about this, there's some aspect of finding your people, finding your place. And that's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just embracing it and trying to be a good person. Yeah. yeah well said, Trey. Thank you. <laughs> Writing like, a oh. book later. <laughs> He's like, I'm in the middle of my memoir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Question seven. You're back in high school. It's the night of the annual talent show. What do you do? Mm. Well, I would do something that would probably not register um, a, a winning a winning slot or even a top three. But you know, in in high school, I I did uh, uh, some theater, did some marching band. I could read the a marching manual. You know, where they chart out where you go. Yeah. I don't mean to brag, but my high school was sixth place in our division in the state of Michigan. Mm. So I'm, oh my you know, six, six. I mean, there's a lot that's, you know, yeah, I mean, bad. there's five other that are better. But if you don't count them, six means something. <laughs> so it's, I played trombone for a lot, uh, many years and uh, mm-hmm. bass guitar. So I would have probably attempted some sort of something to make somebody laugh. Probably that, that would have yeah. been me at a talent show. Nice. Excellent. Trombone, that's a tough instrument to play. It is. I was never good, but you know, I I really latched on to the marching side of things and I really kind of rode that avenue. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna get any better at this instrument, but I can I can help the team in this way. Yeah. You didn't mm-hmm. actually play at all, but you were just out there marching with them. That's <laughs> a great thing about trombone. You know, there's that slide. It, it looks mm-hmm. like you're doing a lot. When yeah. you know nothing, no airs passing through the instrument. <laughs> nothing is nothing. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you are caught in the movie Groundhog Day. What song do you wake up to in the morning? Every morning. It's probably Here Comes the Sun by mm-hmm. the Beatles. I think there's so many connective things in my life where that would be beautiful and then become torturous and then uh-huh. hopefully become beautiful again. Yeah. I'm guessing that's it. Okay. Yeah. Like it Great comes answer. in seasons. I like that. <clears throat> I feel like. Uh. Everybody said, <laughs> Here comes the sun. Everybody said, yeah. Here comes the sun. I knew it. I should have. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the first <laughs> on that one, but I thought someone had a interesting pick there, but it has escaped me. So we should move on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, tough one here. Is it caramel or caramel? Mm. 
Are, are they technically two different things when you no. put them in the dictionary? I think maybe. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a it's pronunciation a yeah. sort of deal. Okay. Like, yeah. How do you what do they say it? up in Detroit? I think that's interesting. I think um, maybe you're the first like northern Midwestern person we've talked to. So yeah, you know, so so currently I'm in the beautiful South, and I mm-hmm. find myself in the Carolinas and Georgia quite often. And mm-hmm. so things like soda has has been adopted over the years, where pop is very common, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. up, uh, up north. So I probably said caramel. The yeah, it, it must be caramel that that caramel. I say caramel corn. We eat a lot of caramel yeah. corn, so I must. Yeah. that's it. Solved it. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Yeah, we had we had someone, and you raised a good question. The reason we kind of like uh, tiptoed around whenever you asked, are they two different things, is because I think we've had a guest on in the past where she was uh, one of the guests said, you know, caramel drizzle, and then caramel uh, candies. She's like, those are two different things, and I was like, yeah. Wait, wait. Almost like depending on what item it is, the pronunciation's different. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll do Which, a we'll do like a short TikTok on it. Maybe the three of us can create a channel, and mm-hmm. it's just about yeah. like food facts. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and I still don't know which one I say because I've gotten so confused. He's, he's shifted. Yeah. Since since we've started asking this question, he's kind of shifted. He was full caramel, and now he's kind of saying caramel more. So. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful thing about life. You can grow as a person. You can become a caramel person where you were once a caramel yeah. person. I mean, good for you, Trey. You know, you're, you're, there's <laughs> evolution. an evolution here. We, we like to see it. Growth. Yeah. <laughs> so, college, is it worth it? Yeah, I think um, it's it's hard to make a claim that you know yourself enough at the age that most people go to college to mm-hmm. make a discerning, um, to take a chance at really understanding your answer to that. But I, I know for me, I went to Full Sail in Florida mm-hmm. and um, I absolutely needed that little bit of, great, I'm in this environment. I'm putting my hands on a 10-ton lighting package on a backstage. I'm shooting film right now. You know, I'm paying for it, but, you know, I'm shooting... 35 mm-hmm. and 16. I mean, when, when I went, you know, to date myself, it was, you know, lead us adapters on Panasonic. Uh, the P2 uh, card cameras were the thing at the time. And mm-hmm. five, five D Mark three wasn't quite out yet. So it was, you know, the red hadn't quite fully extended its way down to the masses in the indie world like it would. Mm-hmm. So yeah. at, at that time, you know, 2006 2007 was an interesting juncture uh for me you know i did a lot of wedding videography i did a lot of cable access television and i knew i wanted to uh, increase my um education on cinematography in general and the camera so i mean my college Mm -hmm. experience i think is a positive and you know i you know I paid for that and that's kind of a part of it. I got a lot of great networking out of it, but I fully mm-hmm. believe and I've, and I've met folks who can pick up a book and discern a topic and an idea and have uh, the boldness to go find that in the world and network, you know, without uh, anything else other than, you know, 
the confidence to get the knowledge on their own. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if that time in my life, I, I would have been able to find a set or find, you know, the right sort of, uh, place because boy, you know, cable access television was, I guess, you know, I do this thing where I shoot a lot mm-hmm. of city council meetings. I shoot a lot of, uh, high school sports and that was, you know, my background. So, uh, f- mm-hmm. for me, it was good. I think, um, you know, if, if you know how you learn best, then, uh, you know, maybe if, if uh, reading is an aptitude for you or just, you know, going out and having that context of, oh, I know somebody who knows somebody who does this. If you were that person, I'd say just go get on set and that'll help right. you decide as well that, oh, yeah, I'd love to know more about camera, sound, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think the further you go back, obviously, the more difficult it is to get that experience on set, whereas now. Almost any large city, you could probably throw a rock and hit a film set somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but the first thing you said about it was what I've always kind of harkened back to is you don't really know yourself when you go to college. So anyone that doesn't mm-hmm. have this full-blown passion, yeah, they risk that money, that time, doing something that they're not going to want to pursue and then either end up unhappy or switch your major, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that just leads to, I mean, unfortunately, you know, a lot of expense for not mm-hmm. a lot of reward. And so I think yeah. like you're saying, it just matters what you know about yourself mm-hmm. and if that's enough to justify the means to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Question 11. What's the right side of the bed to wake up on? Hmm. Let's see. What well, I'm on. My bed is facing west. So I'm currently on the south side of my bed. But boy, I've had bedrooms where I was on the east side. So, you know, I'm a little directionally challenged now with the question. But <laughs> I find myself if you have a t- if I'm laying in the bed looking up, I'm on the left side. So nice. I'm usually I'm usually, you know, my wife Steph, she's it, it, boy, you know, now it's the, she's at the door of the room because, mm. you know, so it's like there's there's a lot of psychological baggage there of, yeah. boy, are you a protector? Do you want to be the first one to get bitten by a dog <laughs> that breaks, the, you know, the breaks in your one? house? Yeah. Or are you by the window? You know, because I'm by the window. Yeah, there's a lot that I've obviously um, thought about here in answering your question, not making it easy. Mm-hmm. But it's um, the left, the left uh, southmost side of the bed. Yes. Nice. That's the and that's the exact psychology we wanted to see in that question. Thank right. you. That's that's <laughs> going to help with tabulating your score at the end. Yeah. Information. <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly enough, we have noticed, well, at least with people not sleeping with a significant other, it's the side closest to the door. Mm-hmm. It's not about yeah. anything else except quick access out of the room. To the mm-hmm. bathroom, perhaps. But yeah. yeah, you bring in a whole new element when you have a significant other. It's like, mm-hmm. do I get killed first or do I get to the bathroom <laughs> first? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or yeah, is it a tornado thing? You get sucked mm-hmm. out the door. You know, I'm 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 going <laughs> yeah. a little physics adverse here. You know, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that that yeah. is. We're looking at the disasters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's other things to think of here. <laughs> so question 12 the final one i can't believe we got to 12 already go ahead best worst movie best worst movie i've ever seen 
mm-hmm. boy, there's there's a pattern with me here. I'm so sorry that um, I don't have the exact answer. But I've thought about this question a lot because I think we all know how hard it is to make a movie. And I think living in that world of this is the worst movie uh, ever made or this is the worst thing. I, I, you know, I think I'd have to relegate it to my own experience rather than a, a judgment on a thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. again, that's a soft answer, of course, because we, we all know that some productions are not made with love or they are callously thrown out to the masses. And, you know, we, you know, there's that's there's something to be said for that. So, but with the yeah. context of this question, I think, um, you know, heavyweights is it's easy to go back to that being one of my best film experiences. The first mm-hmm. film I ever saw in the theater was the jungle book, the Disney, uh, jungle mm. book, the, the cartoon, yeah. of course, not, um, John not Favreau's. The live action. Wouldn't that be amazing if John Favreau's jungle book was the first movie I ever saw. And Man. yeah, I've that been doing be... this for a while. I figured that'd be the first one I'd give it a, <laughs> give it a shot with. That would be so hard to explain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a feeling. I didn't think I needed to see them. I had my own perspective and could yeah. really make my own. Yeah. Jungle right. book. So that is like in my brain there. Um, boy, you know, I go to films like, um, Fargo, uh, mm. films like Road to Perdition. I think those films, Wes mm. Anderson films, when before I even knew that um, I'd take a stab at a career in filmmaking, The Life Aquatic and Royal Tenenbaums really yeah. opened my mind to what is possible with a camera and what, mm-hmm. you know, boy, why do I feel so good with every frame? You know, there's all these ideas yeah. and uh, those movies come to my mind very quickly. Cool Hand Luke, he eats all those eggs. He's just so defiant. You think he's broken completely, but no, he never breaks. Something about mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the spirit of man. You know, as a thirty-seven-year-old white male at the time <laughs> of this recording, you know, those have touched me deeply. Or what you know, what it means to um, be the only person that wants to do the right thing, which is you know, a lot of Fargo. You just got this one character that has yeah. that is has got you know. It's not all figured out, but they at least know. Well, I'm not going to go down this road. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And mm-hmm. there's there's a um, th- that's an intriguing character to to follow. And um, yeah, those kind of stories really sit with me. Nice. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned heavyweights because you know I think it falls into that B movie level category if we try and define it and. Mm-hmm it's easy to equate those to being quote unquote bad. But think about how often we go back mm-hmm. and watch those or how They're much joy they can bring us. Yeah. Like you go watch awesome powers any day of the week and like, it's still a fun watch. It's still yeah. great. It makes mm-hmm. you laugh. And like you mentioned, and we all know that it's really freaking hard to make anything, especially mm-hmm. a full length movie at any level. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think there's some that probably fall to the bottom in terms of just a quality, like a, a physical technical quality perspective, yeah. but you know, it is difficult to sometimes just smash someone else's mm-hmm. work that they put time into. Yeah. yeah. I saw um, Lord of the Rings, two towers in a theater where somebody had what I perceived to be Tourette's and there was like a verbal um, noise that came out of them. 
you know, during mm-hmm. those almost mm-hmm. three hours. And as, as yeah. far as when I, when I think of worse, so that movie going experience is, is tainted by that experience. Mm-hmm. And, but then also the, that idea of, man, I'm glad, I'm glad he felt like he could go see a movie and not, uh, not feel like he was a burden on somebody else or, you know, mm-hmm. he, yeah. he came and saw a movie and, you know, he, you know, despite uh, the distraction, it was, it was just a really interesting human interaction that I think about a lot when I think of, well, this is my yeah. worst movie scenario, but uh, maybe it was his best, you know, and that's movies are funny yeah. like that. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, that wraps up our Delvin 12. So we have uh, got your results in and we will be tabulating those and we will... Not be sharing the results. That's for our vault at Cinevibes. Um, <laughs> is there a Patreon to access the vault? <laughs> you know what? You raise a good point. There is not. But yes. we should. <laughs> well, just just so you can use this in the future, folks, I'm looking at the screen right now. My red bar on the graph is going straight down. It's, it's going really low. It is, I can't believe it is I scored that low. But, but, you know, it could be like a golf score. So, you know, I can't wait to find you know out. What? I've got to subscribe to Patreon. Someone like pays for the Patreon and it's literally a stick figure of you and like with headphones on and that's it. It's like, that's, that's all we got. Nice. No, that well, was great. Yeah, that was really good. We we touched on a lot of really good stuff um, and stuff I'd love to continue talking about in the remainder of the interview. But let's go ahead and jump back to the beginning. So you had talked about... Uh, Heavyweights being one of the first films that kind of inspired you, right? When it comes to film, telling stories and such. Yeah. Is that where your love for film started? Or was there any family members that potentially pushed you in the direction or kind of gave you some ideas? I I can go back to Heavyweights as the film that uh, gave me a piece of meaning from somebody mm-hmm. else's perspective that was going through what I was going through or as I perceived it watching the movie. And mm-hmm. um, that's always in your mark for me as far as filmmaking goes. You know, I mean, my dad was um, a graphic designer. He did the, the old school um, silkscreen advertisement signs that you see uh, uh, that you don't see too often anymore, but they were the corrugated plastic board. They had a ink print on them. You, you yeah. squeegee it on, mm-hmm. you dry it. You know, I used oh, to yeah. sit with him in uh, the studio that he did that with and kind of watch him, you know, kind of put together these intricate illustrations. He was always good with a pencil. And, um, but that also got me into comic books. So I've always loved, you know, the medium of television and, and movies and comic books and drawing and, probably thought I'd be a cartoonist at one point, but I think I reached uh, this moment where I realized my illustration wasn't getting any better and the Mm. aptitude to practice wasn't uh, there for me either. I wasn't interested in um, putting in the hours to that, you know, and of course not having the words for that at the time. But uh, Mm -hmm. I think somebody convinced me to go into radio along the way in high school. Mm. You You have an interesting voice if you consider radio. And I was deep into being... I'm a sound engineer at my little Baptist church in Michigan. I was doing, uh, playing bass guitar in a pop punk band, pretending that I could do that. And nice. so I was I was familiar with equipment and I really enjoyed um, figuring things out. So I was, it was through a radio degree at a community college where 
Uh, there mm. was a television course that led yeah. to a relationship with um, the cable access station where I grew up. And my my good friend Brandon, who's in the film industry, he we grew up in the same in the same county, and and he had that relationship with Channel Six. So uh, mm-hmm. he made the contact, and I picked up a camera, and it all kind of made sense from there. Oh, the guitar is not nice. something I'm interested in getting better at, but <laughs> learning about the camera, I'm, I'm still on that kick right now, learning how to get better nice. at it. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I talk to that in some form or fashion, like took a stint in a church doing some form of multimedia that mm-hmm. somehow was like a stepping stone um, on their journey. I think that's fascinating that. That's not the area you would generally think about, but also, as we probably all know, there's a lot of work through those sorts of avenues. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's really interesting. But I'm I'm curious what you define yourself as, because you know, looking through your credits and everything, there's some. Well, there's a lot of DPing, and then there's some directing, which looks like it's starting to increase in the number. What kind of is your biggest passion? Do you have one, or is it like an even split? I think the best sets that I've been on have been with good people who see the story as the most important thing that we're doing and whatever it takes to get that told uh, within the constraints of filmmaking, you know, we're all going to pitch in and do it. And I think to broaden out on that idea, you know, we have uh, the context of uh, unions, which rightfully so help um, get folks Um, insurance in a lot of cases and retirement. And there's a lot of benefits to that. Some of the downsides that you get over the years when um, you see folks who have the mentality, I cannot touch another person's piece of equipment or this, this piece of prop, this table cannot be moved with X, Y, and Z. Those are all appropriate interactions in the professional world to have that common knowledge of what your job is, but in the short film world or in the world where nobody's getting paid, but you're all there because I really like the script. I really like the story. I wonder if we all mm-hmm. tell it. And then maybe 12 or 12 to 20 of you, maybe three of you are there. You know, it's, it, it varies, but when you're all in that mm-hmm. mode of, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the DP, but yeah, let me just hold the boom for you here. Because if we hold this other boom to this, this interesting sound in the scene, you know, with the actor can do this thing. And, you know, when you can expand mm-hmm. your mind to, get the story told. That's, mm-hmm. that's the most interesting thing for me. And y'all have had yeah. Justin Robinson on, uh, in the past and he's been a great collaborator of mine over the years. And yeah, I've, um, I've, I've gotten the chance to learn a lot from him and his filmmaking style as a writer and director. And, um, I think those are some of the best sets I've been on. Shay Sizemore is another director, writer, director who I've worked with over the years. And, and both Shay and Justin have given me uh, so much life and so much interest in continuing to pursue uh, this career with their passion for storytelling and mm-hmm. um, for the human condition, their passion for, um, you know, honesty and seeking out, you know, the 
uh, you know, making the best thing we can and, and failing along the way, you know, Mm -hmm. that's so important. So to me, cinematography has always caught my eye. I'm really Mm -hmm. interested in that, but I love, I love the creating the environment as well of with the actors, with the people. And I've gotten to do that as a director, you know, recently in the last five years, I've had Mm -hmm. some of those roles, but, um, I have no um, specific aspiration to do one thing or the other, other than I, I know I'm going to be behind a camera in some way, um, even mm-hmm. if it's just shoot, sitting in the backyard with my kids. You know, if this career dries up and yeah. I'm doing something else, then, mm-hmm. you know, great. I, I think I'll always find my way to a camera. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that this career is certainly not going to dry up for you. No. Just uh, tossing that out there. but <laughs> Yeah. Unless by choice, of course. Mm-hmm. Sure, you you know the world can do something crazy. It could be two years where there's a pandemic. You, you, boy, mm-hmm. things can turn could quick be. when you yeah. don't expect them. <laughs> yeah, have to be a basketball coach at the local high school or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never you never know. know. But marching uh, band, I'd, I'd be a mar- I'd go f- for the marching band. You know, I'd try to oh, just right. take that on yes. again. Mm, you know, that's right. I can Absolutely. get back into You've that. Got that history. <laughs> Yeah, you talked about, it it brings up a really good point that I think drew me to the film industry was I had joined back in Clemson whenever I went to Clemson and it was during the film club and it was just a ragtag bunch of people that got together and shot little short films uh, with each other, little skits. And it uh, it was a fun time and I realized, you know, I chose acting, uh, early on and I was one of their actors and they would be working on the script. And I mean, I was also helping them out. I'd help them with writing stuff too. And it was more of the collaborative effort that really drew me to wanting to work in the film industry and not even just film, but acting in general, putting on shows, telling stories like you're talking about. And it's one of those cases where friends were like, Hey man, I need you to come be an assistant. You know, like if they wanted an AD, I'd be like, I'm there. If they wanted me to be a PA, I'm there. If they wanted me to literally just open people's doors as they pulled up to set, I would be there. <laughs> it's it's one of those where I would do anything with friends to go help them out and just get to learn more about and work with other people. Yeah. And it sounds like that's yeah, exactly how you were talking too. It's just it's it's about the experience of being on set. The community that you can build and even specifically on you know the the bottom 3 productions you've ever been a part of in your mind. There's usually somebody that you can text or even social media. You remember that thing that we did? You know, you went through a, uh, a traumatic life experience. And I mean, some of the <laughs> worst things I've done have led to some of the best relationships, you know, over the years as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah. hard to discount even those terrible ones, because if yeah. you're looking for it, there is value there because of the people. It's not, yeah. not anything with the production itself, but what you can glean is uh, well, one, I'd never do it that way. You see how, <laughs> how leaders right. fail you, but you also mm-hmm. see how you can, uh, you, you see those people that, oh, look at how well they're doing despite the circumstances. I'd love to mm-hmm. work with somebody like that or I want to be like that. And, you know, finding people like that to keep in community with and you know, mm-hmm. continue to collaborate with is so, so important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
I'm going to run out on a little tangent here and see if there's anything to it. Um, so, you know, I've never really worked at a high level in terms of budget on a film. I haven't, you know, worked on Transformers or, you know, something crazy like that. And I'm not sure if you have either, but thinking about the difference between the indie film with your buddies and everyone's just kind of there because they love the project. Mm-hmm. Maybe parts of it go terrible. Maybe they don't. But like you said, you have great friends to do it with versus the machine that is a Paramount production film or whatever that might be. Is there, in your mind, and maybe you've experienced it again if you've done some of these larger projects, is there just a stifling element when things get so big that there's just so many people or so many kind of things that are making that process feel less creative versus again this smaller film where you know the the location sound guy can come up and say hey like what if you move over there and do that and you're like oh yeah that's a great idea versus he or she it's never going to say anything on these larger sets because that's not their place and you know the, the people have their roles and like you talk about you don't touch certain things or you kind of fall into your line I've said a lot of words. I don't know if I've asked a question. <laughs> no. But in that... I'm I'm tracking with you, Trey. Yeah. Is there... Because I, I just think about when movies come out and they kind of seem like a letdown. Mm. That somewhere along the way, I think someone had a really good idea and they weren't allowed to make it, I guess, mm. is the summation of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I had... Uh, a piece of my career that was mostly as a lighting technician and uh, in lighting departments. And I was a part of productions that were, you know, 16 electrics, 16 grips. You're all going forward in the production of a thing that you might not be able to see the full picture of. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in the context of Marvel films, there's early in the morning, you have an animatic or something, you know, and there's something that shows you here's the goal for today and you're all building towards it. I can say that in in those large environments where you're just you want to perform your task, first of all, there's the, the time and what you can glean from those experiences overall is usually within, you know, 85 percent of it. If to throw an arbitrary number out is is, man, I'm working with all these skilled technicians. We really pulled off this lighting setup. You know, that's where a lot of my experience comes from. And mm-hmm. maybe you get that extra 15% to kind of have an eye on set. Oh, that's how that actor works. That's how that director does things. And, um, you know, I'd say in my experience, certainly there were times where, boy, I don't know if I'd do it like that. But I think when we all find ourselves in those positions of um, being the one initiating a production, whether it's as a director, producer, writer, or you're in one of those roles where it's like, well, I ideated this thing. I think everybody deserves the chance to um, fail forward if they have to. And great, if this took two days to figure out and we shot two days of work that will never make the movie, it's on the cutting room floor because of a mistake X, Y, or Z, 
I think we all deserve the chance to make that mistake. And in some of those larger environments, things like that can happen and it doesn't mm-hmm. derail. And some of the best films that we've seen over the last handful of decades uh, have those moments or, uh, you know, an actor backs out or great. We lost this day's worth of work for some reason, or uh, the environment wasn't right. Or, you know, this I've, I've been in some great scenarios or even as a cinematographer where we said, we shot it this way. We just learned this thing about the character. We got to mm-hmm. go back and revisit how we approach that scene because look at the way this performance is, you know, and um, and for full context, most of the things I've shot over the years, it's like million bucks and under, you know, just a shorter, shorter turnaround. And, yeah. you know, it's you shoot it in under a month usually. So mm-hmm. that doesn't correlate to some of these other projects you know that i've been on where it's seven months of lighting hundreds of millions of dollars right it's it's a thing where there are two different things and that that idea can come to light in different ways but i share the context to say being in that spot and seeing others work through the story because again you got to get to the core of the story you got to find the thing and i've found so many times as director and cinematographer you meet the film in all these in these four stages really you have the script Mm -hmm. if i come on as director i've met my vision to the script from this other person's vision as a Mm -hmm. cinematographer it's the shot listing finding the ideas to myself and you know those first two phases are so interesting especially in those two different roles when i meet with a director and find their vision for it i love Hearing that, that makes me think of this. We should consider shooting this. This this lens would be so interesting for that approach or this lighter. You know, the, meeting the film in those first two stages is interesting. But then you have these other two stages, which is production and the actor gets there. And sometimes you are in a place where you do some deep casting and you've really created this relationship that in pre-production you've developed. And now it's great. We're both in sync on a script. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've, I've been on productions where a lot of times it's, well, actually, this is kind of a quicker thing. We've got this relationship where, yeah, this person wants to do it. They're going to come in with their take as an actor. And boy, you know, as when I'm directing or as a cinematographer, we didn't know the actor was going to take that approach. But that opens us mm-hmm. up to this side of the story. And then, of course, the fourth being the edit where you have great. All this came together. We're missing this piece for some reason we can meet the story here and we have another chance to save it. So you kind of have these, uh, I've found it to be those kind of four segments in a lot of the work I've done. That's, and you know, that's, that's really been interesting to me to, to meet the film in all those ways. And, and I think, you know, seeing different budgets, you, you get to feel uh, some of that and, and, and really learn a lot about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the more that you, increase the budget seemingly the less you get to be a part of all four of those aspects yeah i think that's i think that's fair yeah yeah i think that's a fair assessment it's really um who knows what goes into all these different relationships in the in the film business you know some producers are very hands-on some producers are i'm gonna hire an art tour to do a thing you know that's that's of course our our magic uh, moment that we all dream of. Oh, great. No overhead, no this or that. You know, it's, it's the pretending we, somebody has that, or I'm sure many people over the years have pretended that they've had that and we've thought they've had it, but they didn't really have it. You know, there's always, so yeah. uh, always somebody to answer to. There's always a thing to, 
get sorted out. I think going back to short films and kind of indie projects or nobody gets paid projects, there is a lot of value to that. And to, you know, for me, I, I try to do a handful of shorts a year and just kind of f- refresh the palette for that reason of nobody's watching over our shoulders. Let's mess this thing up and, you know, mm-hmm. see what comes yeah. out of it. I think there's, there's a lot of value in that and continuing to go back to great sharpen the sword. I have not worked with this light before. I wonder if I, if I shoot this short, maybe I can borrow this thing and get to play with it. There's so many advantages and, and I find a lot of value in, in thinking like that. Yeah. That's cool. At some point, short films just kind of become not necessarily a means to get to the next thing, but perhaps a means to try something new yeah. that you want to mm-hmm. implement on a larger scale. Nice. And one question I had for you, and we talked about it a little bit before, but you're shooting a lot of Westerns right now. Is that a personal taste of yours? You enjoy Westerns or... Yeah, I I do enjoy a lot of Westerns. I'd say the majority of my interest level has come probably in the last five years. I've worked a lot with um, Gary Wheeler, who's uh, produced a handful of Western and you know, Western uh, adjacent type stories. You know, you have your justified mm-hmm. Longmire, these modern mm-hmm. day type uh, sheriff or marshal in mm-hmm. a little village stories and that um, have really, really been interesting to dive into both period and modern day Westerns. And so that, so to answer your question, Western, um, lore has been fairly new to me and okay um, i've not always sought it out but i think when the opportunity came to shoot um the the first um, modern day western um handful of years ago it was uh then that uh, diving in i i got to be a part of and relive so much of film history and some of the good some of the bad i think films like pale rider clint eastwood's um, Western, uh, mm-hmm. right before Unforgiven, that was just such a powerful film. That was films like that really stick with me. But you have Once Upon a Time in the West, that is that's a film school in itself. And you have these mm-hmm. old genre films that uh, John John Wayne, you know, had a, a knack for putting together these powerful, subtle films that, um, you know, there's a lot of lampooning at old. Hollywood for one reason or another, and a lot of it is warranted, but there's some things that are, um, you can't get around. And one of those is that John Wayne was a heck of an actor and the things that Mm -hmm. he put together, the world that he helped build is, um, a powerful thing. And it, it made a lot of modern day hero stories possible. And Mm. I, I think being able to have that film history lesson over the last handful of years has been, uh, invaluable and has really reignited my interest in um, a lot of different films in general that I wouldn't have sought out without um, wanting to have the backstory. Because I think you, could, I know I can see myself fall into these places of, well, should I be this kind of filmmaker? What kind of stories do I want to tell? I hope mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, that I just meet people who want to tell good stories. And if the backdrop is a Western, if the backdrop is space, if it's a short film that takes place in one room, I hope that mm-hmm. I meet the right people who want to be 
a part of a good story and we tackle the challenge together. So having a yeah. good producer like Gary, who's said, you want to take on this challenge? And, you know, uh, sometimes the easiest and the hardest thing to do is just saying yes and then figuring it out later. And I think having the chance to um, shoot a handful of Westerns now has been uh, amazing. Because I mean, really, nice. the like yeah. the, when you get to with actors, there's so many actors who say, "Yeah, I, I've always wanted to be in a western. I'm going to come do this. I'll come do this thing." Yeah, because yeah, I want to mm-hmm. get on a horse and 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 tackle this kind of story because it's classic Hollywood and it's it's mm-hmm. it's great to walk through some of those sets. Uh, that, um, yeah. Got to shoot a film in old Tucson Studios in Arizona back in 1718 or so, and it was. Um, a place where Rio Bravo shot McClintock shot there and, you know, Mm. Tombstone shot on another piece of the property. It's these classic films that you're walking through film history at that point. And, you know, outside of shooting in New York and LA where you you have recognizable places to have these old Western, um, beautiful geographically, these portraiture type locations that you get to walk on where, legends have walked before i mean there's there's a power Mm -hmm. to that yeah that's amazing yeah Yeah. i think that's interesting about um you mentioned new york and la like you watch all the movies oh yeah there's the brooklyn bridge or statue of liberty but i feel like when i watch a western it's always just that little town even if it's the same Mm -hmm. location it never really feels yeah. like it's just one place. I think the, the, the old West in general is quite the character. And you also have mm-hmm. that advantage of the, the backdrop of times were hard times were, you know, it was much more difficult to do a B and C, you know, you get that mm-hmm. baked into the story visually, you know, right off the bat. And that's, that's a valuable thing yeah. as a storyteller to, um, I alluded to earlier of of the idea of being in a place where everywhere you look, it's a beautiful mountain landscape, mm-hmm. and boy, it's it's on you to not screw it up. To in, ter- in terms of, yeah. you can't look the wrong way, so that excuse is gone. There's, <laughs> there's so much to that you can receive in those type of old west environments where there's no sight of modern technology you know the set that we shot in back in march was an hour drive from the city because it's just secluded from everything and that's you know part of our production days were uh, accommodating um cast and crew with that idea we're we're dialing into shorter days we're dialing into um you know eight hour days you know really saying this is has to be it we have to protect each other we have to get out there safely because we have this Mm -hmm. limited time but it's worth the risk and it's worth the hassle because it's uh, it's so hard to do to get a good location on the cheap and you got to take advantage when you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I could talk about Westerns <laughs> probably for hours on end. I had one last question or at least your thoughts on, and I don't know if this is a trend, but there is a trend of rebooting everything. And at least in terms of Westerns, I know that True Grit was remade, which was a classic Western and, in my opinion, a very well-made reboot. What are your thoughts on, you know, things like that, specifically because of kind of the staple it is as, like, classic Americana? And, you know, I've heard it said about reboots that 
you know, leave that great thing in the past. We don't need to mm-hmm. try and bring it to the present or future. It's it's hard to make a full argument against the reboot when you have, you look at a successful DP like Greg Frazier. He, he re- rebooted Let the Right One In with Let Me In. You know, S- Star Wars, the Rogue One, you know, piece was a prequel, but it's the rebooting idea. Dune is a yeah. is another take on the story. The Batman is another take on Batman. This guy mm-hmm. has a full filmography of reboots and has an Oscar and has um and he's is an excellent filmmaker, one of the best working right now. And <laughs> it's within that culture. And mm-hmm. uh, you could say the same for Roger Deakins in Skyfall. It's another take on James Bond from and we get his point of view on it and I I feel better for having the point of view of the masters on some of these type of projects that get made. Because at the end of the yeah. day, while there are difficulties with um, the idea of great folks are putting money into a thing that nobody cares about, it's, they're going to see it and, you know, it's, it's going to fall flat because they just rushed a thing to make the box office, to make the DVD money before anybody sees it, it's going to. It's yeah. going to be a failure. But uh, if for all of those things that miss the mark, you have a Skyfall, you have the Batman or Dune that, that hit the mark and we're yeah. a better world for having those. So I guess you, you it's a give and take. And uh, um, if that's the cost is is having, um, you know, a reboot culture to uh, that, that saddens you, I guess on the other side of it, there are films that can mm-hmm. still inspire you within that. You know, I the question as well, and you raised some really good points. I definitely see, uh, Trey, what you're talking about. Like these films, leave them in the past. Definitely, I agree. But I think there's an element of like not trying to rehash what was done before. So like Dune, the old Dune, not doing exactly what uh, Ridley Scott had envisioned before, but like taking a different element and a different approach uh, to the story and emphasizing certain things. And the reason I bring that up is because you think about theater, you know, theater, you're, you're telling a lot of the same stories, and but it's always through a different production. And there are some productions that try and imitate, you know, what was done on Broadway or off Broadway or in these bigger theaters. And they try to emulate that into their smaller uh, regional theaters but, um, which that's in bad taste. That's, I, I think that's in bad taste as if you ever try to imitate and, you know, as an actor, if somebody, I had a monologue from a movie, I would not watch the movie. <laughs> I would not go watch the movie to do the monologue because I'm like, I don't want to have even the slightest inkling of that monologue and the way they performed it in my mind. Cause I don't want to rehash what they did. Um, and I've had some friends that, or people that I knew that would do that. They would do, uh, they would watch the movie and give perfect, uh, emulations. Uh, and they would do the same exact thing that the cast or the actors in the film did. And, uh, in that case, it's like, you're missing the point of the monologue. You're missing the point of like the art of why he, the words are being said and, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, discussion, though. Is is it's true? It's like you wouldn't want to take a masterpiece and try and paint it with like try and repaint it. You don't want to repaint the original. You want to take that idea 
and then be like, okay, that's cool. But like, what if this was the way it looked, right? Like the Batman, really dark, really right. dark, really gritty. So dark, so dark, you can't see. I had to, I had to ask the uh, projectionist to boost the, uh, boost the uh, <laughs> gain for me. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I saw the uh, yeah, the Matthew Vaughn note to projectionists. I think you can find it online, social media of you know his request to, you know, present it in a certain way because of its look. I mean, that's it's a powerful mm-hmm. thing to have. Right. You know, and I think another. Um, perspective here on and I'm not looking to be the devil's advocate on everything I've I've had it feels like that can seem like the approach to this entire podcast but I will say that (laughs) not to not have an opinion but what I'm really interested in is what is the other what what is the other side of the conversation when it comes to uh, the the scariness of reboots which is do we even need another version of x y and z but mm-hmm. uh, you have that, and I think that is true. But I'm also interested in the world where, okay, what's in front of you as uh, whether you look at it as a business person or as a filmmaker, there's opportunities here. The There is a palette for remake this thing. How can you get in the door and as as optimistically realistic as I can be in those situations. Great. How can you make it better if you're the creative or how can you, okay, great. These are the opportunities that are in front of me. It's these reboots. Does that give me a chance to, um, to, to pit, to get in the room, to pitch uh, a better thing? Uh, you know, I think uh, this industry is so relational and, you know, you hear mm-hmm. people like Steven Spielberg talk about, well, you do one movie for them and then, you know, you get a movie, you know, one for them, one for me. You know, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. I don't know why mm-hmm. I give him a New York accent, uh-huh. but New there's, York accent. Yeah, like, hey, you hey, going to give me that. You, like, I, 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 I just, I just did this Spielberg. for you. You're going to do this for me? Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I got you filming right here. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, I think there's, there's, um. Yeah, can you find uh, the way to 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 game the system that mm-hmm. that is, and when it seems like the system is not uh, in your favor or in the favor of the audience? And right now, we're in this amazing time where filmmaking um, is so accessible. You can get mm-hmm. your hands on a device that records something, yeah. and you can record it, and then you can edit it and put it out in the world. And you can do that how you see fit. And living in a world like that and you want to break into the film industry, boy, you know, there's a lot to take advantage of. And, you know, within, you know, the cloud that comes with what what seems like, um, you know, useless ideas like reboots. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I just want to touch on one little thing before uh, we try and wrap things up because we want to be respectful of your time. But, you know, just kind of capping off that conversation, there's always, you know, a lot of people I talk to, maybe you feel this too, Brent, with like wanting to be original. And, well, how do, how do I be original? Like everything I'm writing in this story, I got from referencing another film or, you know, life experience, but perhaps you've seen that in another movie as well. And my take on it has been, well, all you have to do is be original in the sense of it's through your lens. And 
you're pulling from references that maybe no one else has thought to pull from and put into one single film, whether that's the actual story, whether that's the actual mm-hmm. techniques or the style in which you shoot it, color it, whatever it might be. Um, what's your take on trying to be original, especially if, say, you know, you're know, you remaking Batman? You know, how do you try and remake <laughs> Batman? No, don't answer that question. But how do you make something original despite maybe having seen it? I think with art in general, when you... I mean, there's there's so many great books out there. Art of the Steel is 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 a great mm-hmm. little read in terms of what does it mean to be influenced by something yet not uh, completely regurgitate a carbon copy. You know, it's mm-hmm. we have no choice but to be influenced by the world around us and by the ideas and situations. So not only as a filmmaker, but let alone humanity in general, I feel like so much good writing comes from just walking through. Um, the grocery store and seeing an interaction and you can take that with you. I, I think, yeah. um, I, Trey, I think you've really hit on it already. The idea of we are, we are stuck within our own lens, no matter what we are within our own perspective. All we can do is share that. And I think as a director and as a cinematographer, it's very crucial to me that all I can do to, to dive into it is to, take a stab at it and take a stab at telling the story. And um, if, you know, we fail at something or if we, you know, we come to a place where it's not working and, you know, we need to keep molding it. I think you need to put yourself in those positions regardless. I think do coming back to doing the scary thing, you know, have, you know, the, the real concept of bravery is, is not being a person without fear, but it's, it's doing a thing that's hard that you're scared and, uh, you know, you do it anyways because there's a lot of good that can still come from that. And sometimes mm-hmm. the fear that you're feeling of, can I do this? Will I do this? Is this the right thing? Will I be perceived this way? All of that chatter, um, you know, you've got to put blinders on when it comes to something you're excited about and something you're passionate about. You might have those qualms, but if you can swing the pendulum back your way and you have, um, answers to all those questions that you know it might not calm your fears but in terms of building a thing and feeling like it needs to be original um i think the the thing that's most important is building a thing and making sure it feels genuine maybe is the Mm -hmm. is the is the approach to seek the most and feel like does this feel real to me that's and that's all i can do and that's you know that's really the only thing we can do in storytelling is if you want somebody to feel something from a story you have to tell you have to also feel it wow well <laughs> yeah. said really well said uh, <laughs> and that's a great uh point uh we were uh going to ask what would you to wrap up what would be your advice for anybody that is joining the industry uh, and we can take the route of cinematography to begin with what would be some of your advice for people starting out watch as many films as you can and then watch them again and then watch them again if you really love a film I think uh, come back to it with the sound off you know if you're mm-hmm. especially if you have a love for lighting a love for mm-hmm. the camera watch it with the intention of you know how the story goes now how did they now how did this filmmaker choose to 
lay the path out for you for these characters. I mean, getting a glimpse of your favorite directors and how they work is very important because uh, then, you know, through your own lens, you can learn how to tell those stories and um, know when a camera move is appropriate or inappropriate for your taste, not let alone, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, I don't think there is any true, you should or should not do this because if it, if it's told the story and you resonate with it, you know, that's, that's the minimum. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think, you know, f- staying with the things that you love is, uh, is a great grindstone i think it's it can be easy to come to the approach of oh i'll never make a movie like that why even bother you know but that's Mm -hmm. i think those are the dark places that we all go to that they don't hold footing because it's not it's not a footing in reality it's not it's not helpful it's not helpful you can only make the films that you can make and if they resonate uh, more than the favorite film that you had you know 30 Mm -hmm. years from now you know good for you but it, it can't be I think having uh, the goal to be uh, this, that, or the other, you know, it's it's the wrong place to start uh, making a film. So I, I think as a cinematographer, falling in love with with a certain story or a style or a lighting mm-hmm. technique is important, and then take that to your own life and your own circumstances. You can do a lot with. 20 a 20 dollar bill and home yeah. depot and get a lighting package that can tell a story and um it's not going to look great for your mm. instagram behind the scenes story but uh you told you got you found a way to tell yeah. your story and yeah. it's you got close to mimicking that thing that you're really interested in and you probably found your own take on it because you had different mm-hmm. lights and um it's important to experiment and it's important to get out and yeah. do the thing even if even if it's unlikely to end in success or whatever your version of success is, because getting the reps in, it can be more important. You might think that one story idea, you have to preserve it for the moment that you have the money to tell the thing and do Mm -hmm. it the right way. In all likelihood, you either try it on a smaller level and, um, fall in love with it again because, oh, I did it this way, but when I get to really do it, it's um, going to mm-hmm. be like this because I learned this, this, and this. Maybe you can still hold on to that pipe dream and it gets made. That happens mm-hmm. a lot. Or you get the story out of your system. You, you told the thing. You're, you, t- you shot a scene and, oh, that doesn't work. I don't even care about it anymore. And you at least learn these things. I mean, it's just getting the reps, mm-hmm. I, I think, is so important for me. And that's that's what's interesting to me when it comes to figuring your own thing out, you know, just put in, put in the work, try to get on a set. If it's not making a thing yourself, if you're not part of a thing, just find a way as a production assistant, as anything, as a guy who will hold Mm -hmm. a boom pole as anything, you know, just find your way out there, lend a helping hand. It's, it's so important to learn how all the crew do things because that those sort of relationships go a long way. That's really good. Those are, I mean, wow. you raised a lot of really good points there. It's the, you know, if you're going into cinematography, focus on why a shot was set up the way it was. Why did they use a certain movement, all that, and get out there and uh, get your reps, whether it be with your cell phone in the backyard, practicing something with uh, all that equipment you got from 
the uh, Home Depot, your little uh, duct tape together uh, dolly. <laughs> that's our yep. sponsor for yep, this that's episode, right. by the way. Uh, actually, it's not. Home Depot, please, please. Please, Come Home, on, Depot Home Depot sponsor. <laughs> yeah. uh, or Lowe's. I mean, yeah, Lowe's. Lowe's. We would Lowe's, accept uh, you know, If Lowe's happened to message us, I guess we'll respond. I mean, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. really good stuff. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, things not looking great for your BTS on Instagram. And that reminded me of a friend of mine, I think a few days ago, sent me a picture of, it was a, a camera with, um, it had like the barn doors and everything on it. And there was like two pieces of hair, like, taped to either side of it i was like freak? <laughs> is is that just like one of those set things where you like put stickers on your camera or whatever but no actually it was for a shot on a rig that was set up to mm. swing and it was like a pov of someone oh, pushing wow. someone on a swing and it looked freaking beautiful <laughs> in camera because you got the hair that kind of comes by the lens as it goes back and forth and i was like I would mm-hmm. never think to do that. And they might not have thought it was like the way they wanted to do it per se, but there's a lot of pretty ways to do it, but what matters is it got done. <laughs> it achieved the effect, yeah. yeah. We wanted to take a moment to break into the episode here at the end and just let you know that we had some technical difficulties and the last six minutes of this episode were lost. That's right, they're lost. Never to be heard, but to give the Cliff Notes version of what we discussed, we walked through some of Brent's films, like The Legend of Five Mile Cave, The Warrant, and County Lion. All, by the way, are available to watch on Tubi, and because Brent's such a humble guy, he wouldn't even shout out social media anyways, so we'll do that for him now, and the best way to find him and keep up with his work is on his Instagram at Brent Christie, that's Brent.Christie as his Instagram handle, so go check him out there. And you can also keep up on IMDb, where he has a whole slew of other DP credits, as well as directing that he's gotten more into lately. And upcoming films that he has coming down the pipe that are in post-production are sequels to County Line and The Warrant. There are two sequels to County Line on the way and one sequel to The Warrant that we should be expecting to see soon. And again, we apologize for the hiccup and we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we'll jump back in. And that is the episode today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And man, thank you to Brent Christie for being on. An amazing guest. Yeah, absolutely incredible time talking with him learning a little bit about working at a higher level uh, in the industry and how that can be different from Mm -hmm. working at maybe the level that some of you guys there listening are Mm -hmm. and just what to expect what things you can do and he talked a lot about kind of failing forward or this idea of Yes, maybe things don't work out exactly how you want, but you're still learning. You're still able to, as a team, come together and create something and kind of the beauty that is doing that and kind of probably what we all 
are really aspiring to do anyways. And he had a lot of good uh, takes on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a lot of really good sentiments that resonated with me. And we got into a lot of uh, little minor discussions about stuff we haven't talked about before on the podcast uh, with yeah. guests. So I really enjoyed the conversation and we hope you did too. And with that being said, let us know what you think about the episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Cinevibescast on Instagram. And so you can also send us an email about how much you love Michigan style pizza and what your take on frozen Michigan style pizza is at the grocery store. Send us a picture <laughs> of uh, the pizza. Um, yeah. Send also us a picture let us of the know pizza. if you're a Home Depot person or a Lowe's person. Yeah. Yeah, get a hold of your nearest Home Depot manager and say, I got this podcast that you should send to the higher-ups. Yes, we're trying to find uh, a sponsor. (laughs) Yeah, we need a sponsor. Anybody, please. Please, anyone. Uh, uh, (laughs) You, you, you got a product? Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll do it on the podcast. Like Sam's Meat Sandwiches, any corner (laughs) store, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But without any more delay and uh, rambling in this episode we are out